With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I am your host, Andrew Ledman. I'm Casey Bartley. And we are here back in your ears once again. Early Monday morning, this should go up. Uh, we've got a couple exciting topics topics to go over. First, uh, Matt Painter has finished filling out his 2021-2022 coaching staff with the hiring of Terry Johnson. We're going to uh, give you a rundown on what to expect from him and kind of his his history in the uh, sport. Then we're going to talk about uh, the unfortunate loss, uh, the women's volleyball team. They were defeated by Kentucky. Uh, You'll remember we talked about that on our last episode. And then we're going to transition into what team we think might win the next uh, national title for Purdue. Uh, We're going to do a brief talk about the NFL draft, uh, what to expect from Purdue's players that are heading there. And then finally, we're going to end with a recommendation again this week. um, Last week, you'll remember we discussed Ted Lasso. That was a joint recommendation. Uh, So this week, we're going to do our first one where it's just one of us. uh, And I will be taking the the reins on this one this week. So uh, I will be doing the recommendation. And I have not told Casey what it was. Other than it was, it's going to be a book, and he does not know what it is. So, shockingly, that didn't limit it down to what I could pick. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it could be anything. So we'll see. I'm crossing my fingers for Madame Bovary. Yes. That, well, dang it! Now I gotta now I gotta <laughs> come up with a new one in the next twenty twenty five minutes. All right. So first on the docket, as I said, Matt Painter has finished filling his twenty twenty one twenty twenty two coaching staff with Terry Johnson who is, well, was currently, was previously, I guess, the uh, one of the assistant coaches at Ohio State under um, Holtman. So, I mean, he was with them this very uh, past season. Um, so he'll be the second coach actually in the conference to switch from one team to another as an assistant to go along with Dane Fife, who went from Michigan State under Tom Izzo back to uh, his alma mater um, at IU. So Hey, Ledman. Yeah. Guess who Johnson was an assistant to at IPFW in uh, 06, 07. Is that Dane Fife, seriously? <laughs> it was Dane Fife. Wow. Fun fact for you. I, I was like, the only person who I know has coached at IPFW is Dane Fife. <laughs> so that obviously that had to be the answer. I, yep. I didn't even know that. <laughs> um, so Terry Johnson, like I said, he was on Ohio State last season, one of their assistants. Um, but probably the thing that excites about most people about him the most is that he did uh, kind of come up under Brad Stevens and you know anytime you can get a name like Brad Stevens on your resume um, as an assistant coach you're going to get a lot of looks and uh, so uh, Johnson was at Butler under three different head coaches uh, maintained uh, you know being on the staff under Stevens what did we say the second guy was Miller yes 
Yeah, and then uh, he obviously wasn't there very long. He had those health issues. He had to step back, uh, and then main, and then stayed in the job under Holtman. And then when Holtman came to Ohio State, uh, he brought uh, Coach Johnson with him. So I think that says a lot about the kind of guy he is. You know, when you stay on staff through multiple coaches, that is a good sign. It says you've got value. And then when a coach moves from a, you know, granted Butler's a hell of a job, and the, and that's when they were at their prime. Um, when Johnson was there, but you know they're not always going to be that way, as you've seen in recent years. So when you can go from a school like Butler to a Big Ten school, um, and the coach is going to bring you with them, that says a lot about what you bring to a program. So to me, this seems like a great hire. I don't know what your first impressions are, though, Casey. First of all, yes, there's a lot more money at Ohio State than there is Butler. Yeah, that's uh, that's <laughs> un- that's undisputed. I think um, just generally. Uh, the only, I mean, there's no comparison be- between playing basketball at Hinkle or the worst campus in the Big Ten, but you think not, Ohio State's the worst not campus. campus the it's the worst basketball atmosphere, okay. hands down. Okay. Yeah. The basketball arena, the fans, everything just... Uh, Value pretty, pretty, city, baby! Pretty Woo! embarrassing. Yeah, it's the big lots of the Big Ten. <laughs> uh, but I like Terry Johnson. Um <laughs> At Ohio State, when he first came on, uh, he's like he's like a 5'8 guy. Uh, he played guard, um, pretty small. Uh, so I was reading a story over the weekend how when he came over and uh, Caleb Wesson, uh, when he was approached about having uh, Terry Johnson come in and be the big man's coach, he's like, he's tiny. I don't understand. Listen, as someone who's 5'6", <laughs> I have to stick up for Terry Johnson here, you know, just because you're not tall doesn't mean you can't tell tall people what to do. <laughs> so I got to stick Life up motto. for Coach Johnson there. Well, yeah, and, uh, Terry's response was like, yeah, I've been a big man at heart my whole life. And honestly, when you are on a court, like, you see little guys and they, like, have way better post moves than big guys because they need it. Right, yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense, like, footwork. Um, obviously, Purdue doesn't really need a defense or a uh, big man specialist. We have Brantley there who's as good as anyone in the country. Yeah, I but, mean, you just look at look at the last five, six years. I mean, he's done a hell of a job. Yeah, but as we saw in the NCAA tournament, we could use some help on the defensive end, and that's what Terry Johnson's been doing for Ohio State. Um, you know, Ohio State has had a lot of long long uh, wings, a lot of guards. Um, they play good defense. They tough. They're tough. They uh, switch uh, and. After what happened against North Texas, uh, we could definitely use a little bit of shakeup all year, really. Our perimeter defense really struggled to, I'm not even going to say we struggled to contain drivers, but our defense acted like a dribble was the biggest threat in the world, and our guards would overhelp constantly, and it would be really nice if we could not do that again. Yeah, at times we kind of looked like, if you've ever seen like seven-year-olds play soccer, it's like, oh, the ball's over there, everybody run to it. Um, you know, we just like, and then suddenly there's three other guys on the other side that are wide open and you're like, Oh crap. How did that even happen? It's like, Oh, well, you all ran toward the ball and you didn't need to. Yeah. If we can, if we can scheme something up to where opposing teams aren't easily able to take advantage of one, like minus defender on the court, that would really help. Cause it'd be nice if our best shooter could play more. And Sasha has been played off of multiple NCAA tournament runs at this point. Yeah, and I mean, it, Sasha is a guy you have to have on the court for his offense. And when you take him off the court, 
on the offensive end, our team changes. So you need to find a way to cover him up or mask his deficiencies on defense. And if you can't do that, then you can't leave him on the floor because what he brings on offense will not make up for what he gives up on defense. But I will say big picture, um, looking at this hire, taking another proven assistant coach, a young up and comer who, you know, he is like on the precipice of getting his own program. We just watched two of Painter's assistants get a major Big Ten coaching in Shrew, and then well, a, I mean, it's Penn State basketball, so let's not. That's go a crazy. Big Ten school, Ledman. Yeah, but it's not. That's a, a very big school with a very not, big athletic not a, budget. Not a major Big Ten job. There, there's oh, only twelve of them. There's actually more than twelve of them. There, champ. Do you even know how many? Are teams we at fourteen are? now? God damn it! Now, ah. in years. What at? Uh, uh, we're counting. Eh. We do count Maryland yeah. still. Yeah, yeah. Okay, 14. That's not many. We're keeping that in, by the way. Yeah, that's fine. I, <laughs> I am. Uh, but regardless of that, the thing is that Matt Painter is showing himself that his staff working under him is a gateway to uh, coaching opportunities elsewhere as a head coach. And that's is very important when you're trying to get the best coaches in. Also players like players recognize this. If this is a place assistant coaches want to be, it's where recruiters are going to end up and it's where recruits are going to end up. So it is a positive, positive sign that Painter can take someone from Ohio state. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from Creighton um, like Paul Lusk. These are big name coaches. He's not going to have to babysit them and he can trust them to, you know, run the offense, run the defense, recruit. And it's only upside that Painter's name continues to be this gold. Yeah, yeah. And and to kind of build on that, I think, you know, when you're talking about recruiting, you're looking at, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, however old they may be who are out there getting recruited. They may not know all these things, but you know who does are the people who are shepherding, shepherding them through the process, whether that be an AAU coach, a high school coach, a parent they can look around and see what's going on at these universities and see, you know, this guy has had assistant coaches go to other programs with head to get head gigs. And that matters. Um, So just to give a little more background on Johnson, for those who did not read my superbly written article, kind of giving his history, um, he was born in West Virginia, but actually played high school ball in Indiana. He played at Anderson. Um, He wound up at a couple of small schools. He played, um, at Lincoln Trail Community College, which I had never heard of. Uh, that is in Illinois. Uh, he then played at Lamar University, which is in Texas, and then finally wound up at IPFW uh, playing. And what I found interesting is immediately after graduating at IPFW, they hired him on as an assistant coach. Yeah, some players play to play. Everyone loves to play, but there are kids that know their coaches from the time they're 10 years old. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, you know, you love the game, but you know your talent and your work ethic and everything else can only get you so far. You know, you can wring every ounce of talent out of your body, but, you know, if that only gets you to a 6 out of 10, you, you know, you're not going to go very far. So it looks like that's kind of Johnson's situation. I mean, he put his his heart and soul into playing the game, but as soon as it was over, he realized, I want to stay in the game um, and they put him on as an assistant coach. So, uh, I mean, that, again, it just speaks to kind of 
he's a guy you want around your players um, to, to go right from being a player to being an assistant coach. Um, you got to have a lot of trust in a guy like that. Yeah. And new voices in the locker room is not a terrible thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I mean, Lusk, he he has been at Purdue before. He was with Purdue uh, right when Painter came over. So him and Painter have a good good uh, working relationship. They know each other. They're friendly on and off the court. You know, even when uh, Lusk was gone, you know, there's it's not like there was ill feelings. Lusk went and got himself a head coaching job, and, and now he's back as an assistant. So those two are going to work well together. We know that. Um, but just to get a high level assistant like like Johnson onto the staff um, with a different set of ideas, maybe a different way of looking things, looking at things is is always going to be good. Um, you know, you want that new blood to come in and give you a second set of eyes on problems that maybe you think you've solved um, or problems that you don't even think you have um, that he might be able to see. Well said. So, any final thoughts on uh, Coach Johnson before we, we before we move on? Nope, I think okay. that about covers it. All right. Um, the, oh, I, I do want to say one thing that that I I failed to mention there. Um, we mentioned uh, last time, I think, or else it's on the site. You know, we write everything on the site. Go to hammerandrails.com. It's all there. Um, Paul Lusk, he was hired as the kind of defensive coordinator role. Um, that Painter's been splitting his staff into offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. So the thinking going into this hiring um, was that it was going to be an offensive-minded coach who was hired. Uh, but Terry Johnson is kind of known as a defensive guy as well. Um, he took on a similar defensive coordinator's role while he was at Butler. So I think, to me, this signals that Terry Johnson was the best coach Painter could yep. find. He didn't constrain himself to, I have to find an offensive coach. I'm going to look for who is the best available. It's like when you're in the NFL draft and you're like, okay, we need a quarterback. But then by the time you get to your spot, you don't like the quarterback that's available. So you take the best guy on the board. Um, So that's what Painter did. Painter took the best guy on the board regardless of position, and he's going to find a way to make it work. Because these guys coach offense, defense, everything. It's not like – it's not like uh, Johnson doesn't know how to play offense, so he should be just fine. I'm not worried about that one bit. Yeah, you know who else uh, said all that? Coach who? Painter. Oh, did he? Yeah. I'm never going to go out and look for somebody who helps us from an offensive standpoint, and then that's the only criteria. I handcuff myself. But I think being patient and trying to find the right guy is more important than getting the right guy from a schematic standpoint. But well, I am looking go. for both. Well, there you go. I like to think I'm very wise, and uh, to hear Painter basically say what I said mm-hmm. is, you know, it's good. It makes me feel good about myself. So, you sound two oops. inches taller, Ledman. Oh, if only, mm-hmm. if only, if only. Um, so, as we talked about last week on the podcast, the Purdue women's volleyball team was in the Elite Eight, heading uh, to play Kentucky for a shot at the Final Four. Unfortunately, uh, they were defeated. Three sets to nothing. Um, so Kentucky actually wound up moving on. They won the whole dang thing. So Purdue lost to the champions, which is always some consolation, but you don't want that consolation. You know, you want to be the the damn winner. Um, so it's unfortunate. Um, you know, this is at least the second time that this team, this women's volleyball team has been to the Elite Eight. And the second time they've lost, um, previously, I believe it was against Texas a few years back. So 
we we've been to the Elite Eight twice, haven't quite got over that hump. So it it's it stinks to see it, but given the strangeness of this year and what the team has put together and who they have coming back, they should be very good again next year. Yeah, uh, Coach Hondell, we talked uh, we talked a little bit on it last week. Uh, just runs a really good program, has had his hand in it for long enough that you know each year is going to be good. And it's a pretty young team, and the future is very bright, and it's super exciting to see them have this much success this year and then see what they can do again next year, hopefully with full arenas again and yeah. uh, that whole experience paying off. Yeah. Yeah, and, and for anybody who knows anything about college volleyball, you know that the Big Ten is absolutely stacked each and every year. So they're going to be playing top competition, and they're going to be able to prove themselves each and every week against such a great conference. So that should put them, you know, if they can handle their business, it'll put them again in a pretty great spot come NCAA tournament time. And hopefully they can they can find themselves in a similar position next year and get over that hump. So... Speaking of getting over the hump and finding a way to win, we know that Purdue is not known for national titles. It's just the way it is. Um, we we don't have a ton of them, but we'd like to have more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're always looking. So if anybody knows what we can do short of, you know, illegal uh, recruiting, please let us know. Uh, please put your note in the comments. So – we wanted to kind of chat with one another and see who do we think of all the teams out there that Purdue has, who do we think is going to be the next one to get that national title? So Casey, I will let you go first and see what your thoughts are. And I may agree with you. I don't know. We haven't discussed this previously. What was, what was your gut reaction? Like my not your reaction, final answer. My gut reaction was women's volleyball. Okay. You think that's recency bias or just cause they've been so close? I think it's just because they've been so close and that they have some of the best teams Purdue's had of any sport in recent memory. Now, our last national title was uh, cheerleading. Yeah, 2018, the cheerleaders won the national title. And then our women's golf team won one. Correct. And then I believe our men's team won one. Men's golf? I think so. I don't think so. Well, regardless. Um, well, and of course, the women's basketball team. Yeah, that was a little further back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The only the only national titles I have recognition of is a women's winning. Uh, so my gut reaction was, was basketball, just because I think our team next year is going to be really good. Yeah. But I th- it seems silly not to just say volleyball, right? Even yeah, if, I think so. The, the only problem is that Volleyball seems to be a little bit like women's basketball where like there's like two or three programs that are just always insane. Like that Kentucky team was dynamic. Yeah, they they were incredible. Um men's golf apparently won the national title in 1961. Okay, that was a long time away. That's not what I remember. Yeah, I didn't figure that's what you I were talking about. I think they had a, I think they have a runners up. They they have some men's thing noted when you drive into Ackerman. It could have been it could have been Maria Hernandez because she won the individual title in 09. And I mean, we've got a lot of Purdue has a lot of individual national titles, specifically in diving. I mean, Purdue has one of the best diving programs in the country. Ooh. But we don't you know, there's no diving national title like it's swimming and diving. So 
you have to put together a good diving squad and a good group of swimmers, and Purdue hasn't been able to throw together a group of swimmers who can, um, you know, join together with their divers. We can just both agree it's not football, right? Oh, no. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, I'm going to say women's volleyball. Shondell deserves it. That would be yeah. that would be really great to see. And the only problem I have saying either men's basketball or volleyball is just the random nature of tournaments. Um, you know, I, and I know this is Drew's big thing on the site and in the group chat is always, this is a terrible way to pick a national title winner. This is a terrible way to see who's the best team. And he makes a good point, but, you know, unfortunately that's just how it is. Um, you know, it's not like we can play a best of five series each round in the NCAA tournament to truly see who the best team is. It's you've got to bring your best game each and every day and you've got to win or you've got to go home. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think it'd be fair to do best of three, best of five because uh, college basketball already struggles from teams breaking into the championship. Oh yeah. 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 So if you turn it to a series, like, yeah, I mean, you it it would no longer really truly be March Madness at that point. The the outcomes would would be so much more uh, preordained. So yeah, I think my final answer is going to be volleyball, even though I think our basketball team will get close next year. I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to choose any one program, but I think I think if I ha- if I'm forced to. I will choose women's volleyball because I think the consistency they've shown and the fact that they've gotten to the elite eight twice and they're, they're just so close to, to getting there. So that, that is where I would put my money. Grace Cleveland. We watched. Yeah, she's a hell of a player. She, uh, anytime you can root for someone like breaking someone's face in a way that's <laughs> not like, like, I'm sure that girl's fine, but yeah. Like, well, yeah, and just, there was nothing malicious about no, it. No, just like, like was going after her face. Yeah, no, it was just like, oh, that looked like it hurt, and then like thirty seconds later, the announcer's like, oh, she's bleeding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't imagine trying to get in front of a ball Mm-mm. like that. Nope. No, no, not for me. Mm-mm. More power to you if you can. All right, so 2021, 2022? Yep, twenty twenty two, women's volleyball champions. You heard it here. There first. we go. Yep, you heard it here. All right, so. Now, we got one last topic, and that's going to be the NFL draft, which is coming up in, what, a week and a half, two weeks? No, Ledman. It's coming up this Thursday. ESPN! Oh, it's on. Is it on ESPN? Oh, yeah. It's like a three-day event now. I know. I was kidding. Yeah. Okay. So it's Thursday. It's April 29th. Starts at 8 p.m. Yep. So the question is, well, it's a couple questions. Do we think Purdue's going to have a player drafted on day one? No. You're going to go with no? No. Okay. I mean, the only one that could break in would be Rondell Moore. Um, It is a particularly deep uh, wide receiver class. He is somewhere, depending on who you talk to, four to seven or eight. There's a couple guys that are pretty much the small, quick, athletic slot receivers, yak receivers that profile the same way he does all the talk I've been hearing is he is more likely to be the fifth or sixth receiver off the board. And that probably pushes him to uh, early to mid second round. 
this this is a weird draft. We've got almost guaranteed four QBs to go off the board early. Um, they've got a lot of offensive line talent in this draft, so I, I'm guessing that we won't hear his name called until Friday night. I'm going to disagree. I think he'll go in the first round. What? How early? Oh, I mean, it'll be later in the first round. I mean, he'll be toward the bottom, I think, of the first round. But to me, the amount of talent that guy has. How about the amount of injury? Yeah, but he's so so young. Oh, I get it. This is is another 5'8 thing. (laughs) <laughs> yep this is all about height you know gotcha. i don't know if you know this if you're under five nine mm-hmm. and, and you a, eat at denny's free right dude you're not supposed to tell people oh okay no if you're under five nine you have to sign a pledge to defend athletes mm. who are also under five nine gotcha so i've signed the pledge gotcha. uh, i have it on i have a laminated copy in my wallet i carry it around um <laughs> i just think the the man is too damn talented to get all the way through the first round. I think so many coaches out there with offensive minds are looking at a guy like him and just imagining the things they can do with him. They can run him out of so many positions, so many different sets, so many formations, and he really can. I mean, he just makes people miss. And you just saw the way he played against an Ohio State team that – was filled with future NFL players and what he did to those, those guys. It's hard to imagine to me that he's going to get to the second round. Okay. I Even get though, like I said, I do think it's going to be late first round, but I, I think he'll be off the board on day one. I think it's fair to say that if you have someone that looks at just his freshman tape and goes, all right, he had one injury that held him out for his second year. If you ignore that and just look at the freshman season, what he did was pretty incredible. Uh, I think that that would have to be the way you talk yourself into it. Um, I wish his hands were a little better. Uh, you know, there were, there were a few drops downfield that concerns me. His size concerns me a little bit, and you don't like yeah, but there, there there are a lot of you know t- smaller ish wide receivers in the NFL over the last five to 10 years who, you know, you look at what new England has done with insert wide receiver name here. Who's only they haven't like had a good receiver five, in like five years. I mean, Julian Edelman would like to speak with you. Yeah. He was pretty garbage the last few years. Well, he was injured. That was, and then he retired. That was yeah. the end of his career. Yeah, so. Cause little guys get injured quicker. Ledman. Yeah. Okay, but what do they do? You know, would you take Julian Edelman's career? No, he wasn't that good. Oh, come on. He doesn't even come close to the Hall of Fame. What? I'm I'm sorry. Is it your trash or you're in the Hall of Fame? Are those the only two options? Yeah, but I'm just saying he wouldn't be a first round pick. If if you could get his career out of a wide receiver, he would not go in the first round. Mm. I I don't know. Not, not, not having it. All right. Well, if he was that good, the Bucks would have traded for him. I mean, Brady could have probably just told him to somehow retire and that he'd wind up on the Bucks anyway. It's probably what's going to happen. That <laughs> I I made that joke on Twitter. Thank you very much. Just we're just waiting for Godwin to break another pinky. Right. I mean, listen, 
Edelman had three seasons over a thousand yards, and then one at a nine hundred and seventy-two yards receiving. So that's those are some some good seasons right there. Yeah, they're fine. Okay, well, <laughs> now you're just now you're just being a dick to be a dick. <laughs> so, all right. Any other Purdue players you actually think will be drafted? I know we've got prospects, but anybody you actually think is going to hear their name called and not, you know, signed as a free agent uh, the next day or two hours after the draft is over. I would be shocked if Derek Barnes is not drafted by the fourth round. I'm legitimately shocked. Why why do you say the fourth round? Just based on the number of linebackers ahead of him on, on these rankings? Or do you have a team in mind who you think needs him? Uh, no, I just think his talent, um, I mean, we watched Bailey get drafted last year. Barnes, uh, to me, looks like a little faster version of him. I, I think he has uh, a defined trait that he's really good in coverage. He's really athletic. His closeout speed was pretty much the only thing that saved Purdue's defense for most of the season last year. He really stands out on tape. And Purdue has a long history of linebackers getting chosen in that middle rounds. A lot of them chosen by Belichick. Um, and I, I he just seems like a he seems like a guy that's never going to make top money, never going to make a Pro Bowl, but he's going to be in the league seven to ten years because he can do everything like pretty well. He should should be a decent blitzer. He's got great closing speed and he should be able to cover receivers. So I, I, I would that. do what I buy that. I yeah. buy that. That uh, makes sense to me, especially the comparison to Bailey. Yeah. So I, I would look at teams, you know, uh, Seattle's got some older defenders they need to cover. I would look for the Seahawks towards him. Um, the Niners love speed on defense. Um, they're going to have some holes to plug. And then, like I said, Belichick has made a, like, he's uh, taken quite a few Purdue defenders and it's worked out well for him. I, I, I would be really shocked if he does not, if he's not on a team by the fourth round. Okay. All right. So the other real uh, big name for Purdue who's going to be in the draft is Lorenzo Neal. So I, he, of course, he, of course, had the injury problems. Um, he came back to try to show NFL teams, hey, I can play. I'm not, you know, I'm not injured. I'm not injury prone. It was just an injury. I will be fine, and here's what I can do. Do you think he did enough in this last strange season as it was to find himself on the uh, podium. I don't again. think so. I, uh, with the, with the third assistant commissioner on day three of the draft. Yeah. Everything I saw from him last year, nothing really stood out. Our defensive line besides, uh, Carl Loftus was kind of a wasteland. He's a big body and he takes up space, but he really didn't have that jolt of athleticism this year. He seems like the body. He seems like someone that's, going to go and need to be in someone's camp and show them that he can play. So he seems a lot like someone that's going to sign as a free agent and then maybe hopefully catch on somewhere. I think I'm going to have to disagree with you again. I think, I think he's going to be a guy who gets drafted in the later rounds toward, toward the end of the draft. I think. Were you impressed last year by him? I mean, he showed more last year, I think, than he had previously because I think he knew this was his last chance. He is a big, strong man, and that is what you want out of a defensive lineman. And he comes from an NFL family. 
which they take that into account whether they admit it or not. You know, somebody in a front office may know his dad, has played with his dad, you know, spread a good word. So stuff like that, we like to think it doesn't matter, but it probably does. And I just think he has shown how talented he can be if he just has the motor with him 24-7. Uh, he can really uh, cause some damage on the defensive line. So I think he's going to be who will get dra- He's going to be a guy who will get drafted, but it's going to be late, and he's going to have to work uh, in order to stay in the league at least for the first couple seasons before he can prove himself. I hope you're right. It's fun to see bowling makers in the league. Uh, Grant Herman's offensive lineman might get drafted. Uh, it wouldn't shock me, but also wouldn't surprise me if he wasn't. Yeah, um, he. I, I think he's going to be a guy who, who who will sign as a free agent. Yeah, but I, I'm also are you, every every time a Purdue bowling maker like uh, tests, I'm shocked by how athletic they are because oh, they never look that way on the field. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we do have some. Sometimes we get those workout warriors. Yeah, I, just, I don't know what it's been like, especially during the Hazel years. It was just like, how did you make these players so unathletic on the field? Oh, I know. Yeah, you just put them in a terrible position each and every game. <laughs> and 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 that's the strange thing about the transition from Hazel to Brom. Brom has it his, hasn't gotten much that, better. Well, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Not going there right now. <laughs> Brom, Brom has had his best season with Hazel players who had terrible seasons. And then suddenly Brom comes in and gets the most out of those players. Did he put them in a better position? Did he just know what he's doing more than Hazel? Probably yes on both of those accounts. But how how do you get such vastly different results from the same players? I don't know. Who's going to be who's going to have the better NFL career, Rondell Moore or David Bell? David Bell. Yeah, he's so good. Yeah, uh, he's so consistent. And I do like you said with Rondale and his hands. I think Bell has better hands. Yeah, Bell reminds me a little bit of Allen Robinson. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. And Bell, I I think we might only have one more year of that guy. <sighs> Don't make me sad. I know. I know. All right. Well, the fun thing with Rondale, though, we talked about this a little bit. What what team? Do you want to do it what team we want him to get drafted by or what team we think he'll get drafted by? Probably what team we want him yeah, to get drafted by. I think that's by. I mean, too. that, yeah. Um, I'm I'm looking up the draft order. I don't even know the draft order this year. <laughs> Wait, you don't remember that? Remember? Yeah, I don't remember that offhand. What do you have going on in your life, Ledman? What, uh, what could possibly uh, be more important? Let, let's see. An eleven, almost 11-month-old child mm-hmm. uh, trying to buy a house. Uh-huh. No, just a few things. Hmm. All right, so a lot of teams, I think, could use Rondale Moore. And since I'm on the record saying as I think he's going to go in the first round, I mean, obviously, I'm a Bucks fan. I would love to see what he could do um, on the Buccaneers because as far as I know, Antonio Brown is not back, thank goodness. So I would love to see... Uh, Rondale just kind of jump in as an extra wide receiver there. But uh, so gross. I don't think that's going to happen. Honestly, I think a team that would be great to to see him on is the team that's going to be drafting 29th, the Green Bay Packers. 
Okay, so you think I'll go 29. Okay, so Green Bay is definitely one of mine to look out for. I, I just think he would fit in there and to get Rogers needs weapons on offense. And they, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but they have Irwin. I think Irwin is like a running back slash wide receiver. They tried to use in that capacity where he runs routes, but also lines up in the backfield, does a lot of jet sweep stuff, but he wasn't very good at it. And like, do, you Rondell Moore, Ty- do you mean Tyler Irvin? Irvin? Yes. Irwin's okay. pretty close. A lot closer yeah, I, than Grover Cleveland. Yes, yes. <laughs> really, if you think about it, you're only half a letter off. I'm German, Lennon, so uh, it's a little racist, so you're correcting my W. Ah, yes, I guess it could have been. I feel like that's early for him, but, like, I, I don't hate that. I like it for yeah. Rondell, and I like it for the Packers. Yeah. I do think there's – I forgot that Baltimore, you know, they traded – they got Kansas City's uh, first round draft pick. Oh yeah, they have. So and they they're, have and they're sitting there two spots behind at thirty one, and they need weapons. Yeah, he would not be a bad option either. But so I guess who I want to see them go to Green Bay is the answer. But just to be a little different, and uh, don't say the Colts. I'm not gonna say the Colts. Thank you. I, they've got so many young receivers. So I think he makes a lot of sense in Miami. Really? It's a young up and coming. Uh, yeah, I just, I think they need help at running back and receivers that can get open easily for Tua and guys that can do stuff after the, like, you know, after the catch they've got. Devonte Parker is a go up and catch the ball guy. Um, Preston Williams is a tall guy. They're probably going to draft a receiver with their first pick, so that might be why they don't. But if Kyle Pitts is still on the board for them at six, and they can get him, it would not shock me at all if they get another receiver that can play the slot for Tua. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to build around Tua. you got to give him weapons if you're going to, you know, get the most out of him as your as your star quarterback so it makes sense uh new england picks at 46 if rondell's still on the board i would book that as well that yeah yeah i get that belichick loves those that small fast yeah yeah so i mean there you have it folks there's some (laughs) there's some possible landing spots for rondell moore so we'll have to i think we'll be watching on thursday to find out Casey seems to think it might be uh, round two, which is on Friday. So to uh, wrap things up, we do like to end the show with a recommendation. It is my turn this week. What's your so, recommendation, Ledman? Well, it's thank a you book. For asking. It is a book. So the way. Well, hold on, I hold on. When was it published? I want to guess what the book is. Oh, uh, I don't know. That was actually one of the things I was just getting ready to talk about. Uh, twenty sixteen. It was published in twenty sixteen. Yep. Okay, I have no idea. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm using these recommendations not as necessarily like the hot new thing that comes out that you need to look into. These are just going to be things that maybe I found a little late, maybe I found recently. It doesn't matter. So just things that I think are really great and more people should look into. So the name of this book is Dark Matter, and it is by Blake Crouch. And I'm trying to figure out how I can explain it without giving anything away. Uh-huh. 
Um, it's kind of, uh, I guess you would call it a science fiction thriller, maybe like a suspense. So it's the story of a man who was a brilliant scientist, and then he met the woman of his dreams. And Not enough stories about non-brilliant scientists. We, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no, like, there's never a middling scientist <laughs> in the book who's like, well, you know, things are fine. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'll ever, you know, I'm just, I'm good at it. I'm not great, and I know that. Um, so he meets the woman of his dreams, and he's he's a heavy research scientist. He's into some um, crazy, crazy things related to, of course, as you might imagine. Dark matter? Title. Dark matter, yeah. Okay. I don't know. See, Casey, you're so smart. <laughs> um, and in order to to be with the woman of his dreams, he kind of pumps the brakes on his research. Ooh. And and he never takes, give up. Never give up the life for a woman. And he takes he takes a job as a professor. And that goes double for women giving up their lives for men. Well, yeah, that goes without saying. Women are, are at least are, worth it. Men suck. Yeah, men are the worst. And. Uh, <laughs> We, you know, as two men, we can say that because we know men mm -hmm. and we are bad. Um, so he gives up his his research, basically, and and teaches at a, basically more or less a middling college. And it's are all you? About... <laughs> Unfortunately, no, that would have been great, though. Um, it's the book is more or less about the path not taken. And oh. that is all I will say. Is this nonfiction? Yes. Or science fiction. No, wait. Oh, nonfiction or science fiction? Those are not the only options. No, it is a fiction book. It is fiction. But you said it was kind of science fiction y, so I didn't. Well, yeah, yeah. Is yeah, this based fiction. off someone's life? Uh, not that I'm aware of, no. Uh, because the science fiction does take over a little bit, but I mean, it's not like alien worlds and like a star space war or anything like that. I mean, it's not that kind of science fiction. Mm. Let's see. So. It, you know, there's there's only so much I can say without trying to without giving anything away, but it is one of the the better books I've read in the last few years. So okay. I would highly recommend. Again, the name of the book, Dark Matter by Blake Crouch, published in 2016. So you may have heard about it. You may have read it by now, but there are so many books published. You there can't, are a lot of books. Let me. So, yeah, you can't ever catch them all. So I would recommend going to your local library, go to your bookstore. Go to your independent retailer, wherever you can find it. Take a look. It's a great one. So for Casey and for myself, I think that's a wrap on episode two of the Casey and Andrew Hammer and Rails podcast. So thanks for joining us, everybody. Hope you're, you're listening, you're liking, subscribe, comment, and uh, hammer that subscribe button. Barbecue sauce.